1: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews,
0: analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Episode 30 of Bustin' Loose Baseball, a bonus episode this week, about three in one week, not too shabby. Hopefully, you guys got to hear our Cole Henry interview the other night. He was super candid and really open about what's going on in his career as he's set now for thoracic outlet surgery on August 25th, so keep your fingers crossed for him as he gets ready for that procedure. Kudos to Anibal Sanchez. Finally had a really good outing, allowing just one hit in five innings and a rare Nats win on the road at the Padres last night. Tip of the cap as well. They've done a good job facing Juan Soto so far. I I say that, and I'm sure he'll hit four homers in his next six at-bats against them. But both he and Josh Bell, in the several games the two teams have played since the deadline, have been held pretty quiet, which is much nicer than having to watch those guys round the bases and have a field day against the Nationals. But a... Nice win against a hungry Padres team fighting for the playoffs was a big deal. Home run from Ildamaro Vargas, and they're getting some offense from Nelson Cruz as well. Back of that bullpen has been very sharp. They kept Finnegan. They kept Edwards. I thought they should have traded one or both of those guys, and at least they're getting some performance and production out of them now as they try to compete down the stretch as the team with the worst record in baseball. But on this 30th episode of Bust and Lose Baseball, we wanted to let you guys hear a recent conversation I had with Charlie Slows, the longtime voice of the Nationals. In fact, he was hired to be the Nats' play-by-play broadcaster before they ever played a game. And he has been with the team since day one. Hired before the start of spring training. He has called all but, I think, six or so games that they've ever played. That's how many days off he's ever had. We talked to him about that, plus how he got the gig to be the voice of the Nationals. And the first ever day at RFK Stadium when the Nats inaugurated season number one and baseball returned to Washington, D.C. after a 34-year hiatus. All in this conversation with the voice of the Nationals. We hope you guys enjoy it. Spread the word. Bust and loose baseball. Conversations like this one with Charlie Slows. And we are joined now by the voice of the Washington Nationals, Charlie Slows, who has been calling Nats games since day one. Goes all the way back to the beginning of the return of baseball to Washington DC. Charlie, thanks for a few minutes. How you been?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I'm getting acclimated here to the West Coast, beautiful San Diego as we speak.
0: Is San Diego your favorite road city to travel to?
1: Ooh. It's pretty darn good. <laughs> it's 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 near the top. And we go from here to Seattle, which we haven't been to in a long time, so I'll get a, you know, Pike Place uh, market there and that was one of when I worked in the American League with Tampa Bay. That was one of my favorite road stops. But you know, this is hard to beat. Great ballpark, uh, great downtown area, the water. What more could you want?
0: No, oh, it's beautiful. Put it on a postcard. That's got to be as good a road trip in terms of multi cities that you guys have had in years. Going San Diego to Seattle, and not only that, but the ballparks. I'm not sure what the broadcast booths are like. You'd have to tell me in, in those two spots. But from a just a, a Beat reporter or broadcasting standpoint, that's as good a, a two city trip as you're going to take.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the broadcast booths are fantastic in, in both parks. So no complaints there. San Diego's a little narrow, Seattle's is, is huge. Plus, since it's Seattle, they give you your own whole thing of coffee in the booth just for you.
0: No way. That's great.
1: You got your own coffee maker, pot, Starbucks, whatever it is.
0: So it's your interesting. Chef. I think I've been to every single one of. The ballpark's in baseball except for six total, and those are two that I haven't been to. I got an appendectomy the day before the All-Star festivities uh, in San Diego, so I missed that weekend in San Diego several years ago. And then I'm hoping to go to Seattle next year for the All-Star event, Futures game and everything. But those are two of my half dozen, so that would not have been a, a bad little trip there. What is your favorite Let's go as a broadcaster and as a just as a baseball person going to the ballpark. What are your favorite ballparks to go to?
1: Well, you're always most comfortable in your home park. Even though we have the high vantage point, we have a tremendous booth and whatever we need there. And you know, the sight line's great um, and when the weather's great. It's a fantastic ballpark uh, to see a game in. Uh, we were at Wrigley Field recently. Wrigley never gets old. It's one of the, the best views. Uh, you can have uh, looking at a ballpark. Sight lines are great from foul pole to foul pole, and then you got to throw San Francisco in there because for day game there, view of the bay, cross to the other side, you can even see the Oakland Coliseum when it's clear enough right from your booth uh, with binoculars. But uh, San Francisco is a, a spectacular venue uh, for for a ballpark setting. So those, you know, if you go to Fenway, you get the same feeling you do at Wrigley Field because of the history. Um, Yankee Stadium, not as much with the new stadium, loses a little bit of that, that old field and mystique. Um, you know, so those are probably uh, at the top of my list. As far, as far as atmosphere, St. Louis never disappoints the way the fans treat players and um, the history of the game in, in that city. And, and Dodger Stadium? I still love going there to do a game, and it'll always have great memories from the Nationals beating the Dodgers in the Division Series. I mean, Dave and I can't walk into the booth without thinking of uh, Howie Kendrick's Grand Slam going over the center field fence in, in uh, the 10th inning of Game 5. But uh, that that park part, is that they make it feel like it was just completed with as clean and, and up-to-date as they keep it. Uh, and and it's it's got all the history there, too. So those are... Those are at the top of my list, throwing in San Diego and Seattle. Seattle's a great ballpark and great sight lines, and you never have to worry about if it rains because they'll just slide that roof over you.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm all for indoor baseball. As a kid, I remember – you know, everyone telling me, "Oh, if you have an indoor baseball facility, uh, I'm I'm out." You know, and people, it was like a a thing where baseball's got to be outside. I don't feel that way anymore. I've I've been rained out for games I cared about too many times in Nats Park and other places. I I you know, uh, Houston, obviously, it was you were there calling the World Series, and you've been there a bunch, I'm sure now. But I, I love that spot. You were in Tampa before you came to to Washington many many years ago. I think I'm the only person in the country probably who really likes the trot. I had my own section and my own concession stand and my own bathroom <laughs> the day that I went there. And it was 70 degrees in the middle of the summer. I, I loved it. So, yeah, count me in on indoor baseball. I'm fine with it. Arizona, same thing. It's 110 degrees outside. You walk in, you don't sweat, and it's it's a perfect environment. I, I dig it.
1: Yeah, I mean, Tampa Bay, if you take away the catwalks, it, it, it's got a decent baseball feel, more so than, than say, the Metrodome did or, or the Kingdome, because that ballpark dates back to when those parks uh, still existed. So it, it, obviously it's out of date as far as all the, the modern amenities to be in a ballpark, and they want a new ballpark, and they've been trying to get one forever, and they're not going to get one before their lease runs out in 27 at the Trop. And if they get one, I don't see how you can have one there that doesn't have a roof or a retractable roof because of the amount of rain you get in the summer and and the humidity. So, uh, you know, again, hopefully they get it and baseball stays there. You know, if not, there are going to be other places. You know, I, I think they're holding on to Nashville for expansion and Vegas for expansion, even though Oakland keeps using it as a tease to try and get this new stadium deal done on the waterfront in downtown Oakland which would be a event imagine a ballpark looking across the bay at San Francisco's ballpark <laughs> that would be great <laughs> on the other side there and you know really help continue to rejuvenate downtown Oakland so we'll see but you know Charlotte's going to want a team Portland has been climbing for one I don't know if that's a big enough market uh, to do it I, that that's why I think they're on hold until they know they can expand to to uh, Nashville and and Las Vegas when They're settled with ballpark situations with Tampa Bay and with Oakland. Um, So we'll see what happens
0: there. Charlie slows voice of the Nats kicking it with us on and loose baseball. So a couple of things I wanted to dive into, but you have been with this team since day one in its infancy. Uh, Jags has been with you, I believe since year two for the nationals. You had one year that predates Dave uh, in the earliest days of the organization. So, Take me back to, to that first ramp up with the Nats. When were you hired and how did that kind of come about? And then, you know, what were the initial days? Because I remember people were like working out of trailers in the parking lot of RFK. We've come a long way.
1: Yeah, indeed. I mean, Well, first for me, I kind of knew at the end of the 2004 season that it could be my last season uh, with Tampa Bay. Their rights were changing. Uh, the rights were going to go in-house owned by the club and uh, they had a lot of financial considerations there. So my first contact with, with the people who were going to run the nationals, Tony Tavares and Kevin Ulick were the the president of the team and the, the SVP running the team coming from Montreal for major league baseball. And I knew as of October 3rd, they were setting up shop at the, the Washington Hilton and contacted the uh, both of them there and Kevin Hula called me back and we talked for a while and we talked several times and he liked my work and wanted me to be staying in touch. And, uh, I was still possibility to go back to Tampa Bay, but that, that as it turned out, the ironic thing is I had to do an audition because they were going to change it up and have a play-by-play announcer and an ex player type in the other chair.
0: Mm.
1: And so they auditioned, Five different play-by-play guys, which I was one of them, and they all auditioned with the same ex-player analyst, who was Darnell Coles, currently the no national way. coach. Yes. Wow, that's a <laughs> And so I was the fifth one. He did the same two innings of a game from earlier that year with the Rays and the Yankees, and... So he had to do it five times with two different people. Or, or maybe they did different games. They told me what game I was going to do. And that was the best part. They said, don't bring your scorebook in because, we, you know, you're going to have to prepare for the game and do it like you've never seen it. I'm like, really? What do you think I'm going to tell you? The guy's going to steal before he
0: steals?
1: <laughs> 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 when I get a call to
0: call the pick? So you auditioned with the game you'd already called?
1: Two innings off an old – remember when they used to have monitors for of TV course. broadcast, like the little tiny black and white yep. square yep. box that were like, I don't know, 10-inch monitors? I'm doing it off that in the booth. We each have one, and the boat show is going on at Tropicana Field because this was in the off season.
0: That's hilarious. I just don't understand why they would have had – like, why not give you a random game? Why not give you, like, Reds-Cubs or something?
1: I, I guess they wanted. to – I don't know because that's what they had video of. It was one of their own. Telecasts. I just
0: love the idea that your audition is a game you've already called. Like that—that's a nice little. Uh, that that right, makes you but, feel real comfortable. But, it's the team you know best. Right.
1: It was easy for me.
0: Exactly. Right?
1: And you know, Todd Callis, who had worked for the Rays, now the Astros TV announcer, was one of the other guys who audition. He had the same thing. That's awesome. You know, so the game was from like seven months ago. So you're not going to remember every detail, but it, right. it was like, it was like the first two innings
0: but at least she so, got some good yeah. little nuggets and anecdotes on some of the players. So then you do the audition and you get that gig. You're at Spring Training like that year Spring Training. No, no, ramp-
1: no. I did I was audition with the Rays and they didn't hire us. Oh, I and
0: see. And they
1: hired the two guys who are there now. They hired the they they hired and they, they they changed their mind didn't hire Darnell Coles and hired two play by play
0: guys. Oh, I misunderstood. That's even crazier. So this was an audition for the Rays job that you'd basically already had.
1: For seven years.
0: Oh, my God. I thought you were auditioning for the Nats, calling this Yankees-Rays game. That's why I was so confused. No, no, no,
1: no, no. That's hilarious.
0: Well, that makes even less sense. You had this job, and you're calling the game for them. What a joke.
1: Right. So... They said, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll know in a few weeks and, you know, we'll contact you directly. And then I read about it in the Chicago newspaper when uh, Dave Wills was telling people he got hired. <laughs> so that was that. You hate that. But, but within three weeks, Kevin Ulick called me. I think it was on February 24th on a on a Friday. And he said, oh, no, this is even funnier. Friend of mine that I met in D.C. who actually grew up near me in New York, but we didn't know each other then. He had moved to Florida, and I'm up in D.C., and he's driving around, and he picks up WTOP in St. Pete area. And he goes, hey, I just heard that, the, that, that they got the rights to the games, and they're going to put the games on one of their other stations, and that they're, they just said this on WTOP that they're talking to pr- prospective broadcasters right now. I said, well, then it must not be me because they haven't talked to me. (laughs) And as we were carrying on the conversation, like within a minute, my call waiting popped in. It was a 202 area code, and it was Kevin Hewlett calling and offering me the job.
0: I love that. And that was
1: February 24th. He said, can you do a game a week from tomorrow? I said, yeah, can you?
0: (laughs) I'll be there. You guys going to be ready to go? Are you going to turn that on air light on for me?
1: Right. All I I just had a drive to Fort Lauderdale a week a week or so later. First game that we did was Nationals against the Orioles at Old Fort Lauderdale Stadium, oh, where the boy. Orioles were still having spring training, and we had to climb to the roof because the press box was on the roof of that old
0: yes, it was
1: Dunphy Stadium.
0: That stadium stunk, took. by the way.
1: Indeed, it did. My biggest memory from that day were two things. I was on the field, and the clubhouse was in left field corner, and as Frank Robinson was walking towards the dugout, some guy yells out, Coach, Coach, Coach Robinson, can we get your autograph? <laughs> and he turns, and he yells, Manager. And the fan goes, What? He goes, I'm the manager, not the coach. <laughs> I said, oh, we're gonna have to work on this a little bit with some of these fans. And um, the other thing I remember from that day, late in the game, there was a pop up that went down the left field line in foul ground, and this late inning uh, replacement in the game ran like like he ran the length of a football field to make a running backhanded catch down the left field line in foul ground. Nineteen year old Ian Desmond. Oh wow! Yeah.
0: Yep. That was day one. That's crazy. What was it like in the city when you guys got back to D.C.? I'd imagine, I mean, if you were there for all the spring training, you wouldn't have come right until before opening day. But then it was like two weeks or so into the season, if I remember, or close to it, that they actually played the first game, right?
1: Well, actually, in the middle of spring training, because I I wasn't going to have time to do this with team opening on the road, um, I brought my car up to D.C. on the auto train, got a place to live and then went to see them in the trailers that you talked about outside RFK stadium, because they were redoing the offices. Yep. They were rebuilding the press box. The, this was the middle of March and the, the field was torn up and the first and third base stands were, were rolled out like they used to be for football, which was took some doing because they hadn't been rolled out in like how many years.
0: Were you thinking, "Uh Oh, what, what did I get myself into? No, here? I'm looking
1: at this going, they're going to be ready and, a few weeks because they had had one exhibition game they played the day before or two days before the season started. And they came up, that was like the dry run, and then they left for a nine-game road trip. So, you know, the field was all – the stands were torn up because they were putting in batting cages, Mm. which of course ended up being where Brian Schneider warmed up President Bush before he threw the first pitch. That's right. RFK State on opening day. And so – you know, I saw that it was freezing cold. I remember in the trailers, they were trying to get heat going, and you know, they had a skeleton staff of people. It reminded me of a, you know, when I worked in the minor leagues, it, that that it, you had people with titles, but they were doing like twelve more jobs than their their title uh, dictated.
0: You knew it would did. have been the it minor leagues if uh, Frank Robinson and Jose Guillen were pulling the tarp when it rained.
1: <laughs> no, that would have been it. But as far as like the people working in the offices. They had a skeleton staff and they were working their tails off to get everything ready. And, you know, we came up for that exhibition game and, you know, uh, they had about, I don't know, 25,000 people in there for that. And all the players who, all the players who played in Montreal were like super excited because no one was coming to their games for years. So they were all excited to see what the city was going to be like, but we were only there for, you know, less than a day and then opened that first season in Philadelphia uh, lost opening day, won the second day. Uh, you had Brad Wilkerson hit, a, hit a, a grand slam. You had Brad Wilkerson hit for the cycle. Um, and then they went five and four on a road trip that was you know, included Philadelphia and Atlanta, who was the heavy heavy favorite to win the division. So it was Philadelphia- uh, Miami and Atlanta, and they went five and four, and everybody was ecstatic because they thought, you know, well, this team's going to lose 100 games easily uh, from the team that they brought with them from Montreal, even with, you know, adding Jose Guillen and uh, some of the additions that Jim Bowden brought in at that point. But, um, yeah, that, that opening day is amazing. You know, outside of winning the World Series and a couple of other uh, memorable games in national history, well, more than a couple, but opening day is still on my top 10 list of greatest events I've ever been to.
0: Yeah, so that opening day, you guys still have some of the, the calls and the first pitch, and I've seen some of the mm-hmm. images and the videos of, of Levon Hernandez kind of inaugurating uh, Baseball 2.0 in, in D.C., or, or I guess it wouldn't even be 2.0, but the latest iteration. So what do you remember most about that day? What are some of your memories of, of the opener?
1: Um, legendary uh, center's broadcaster Bob Wolf, who wasn't young at the time, just came to the game because he wanted to be there when they played Major League Baseball again at RFK Stadium. I interviewed him for our pregame show, and that was fantastic. Um, just the atmosphere, 45,000 packed. The, the one great memory because of the way the press box was hanging from the upper deck, so to speak, and you went out on a catwalk to get to the press box.
0: That was so, so when you opened.
1: So when you opened the back door of the booth to leave the booth, The field was set below street level, so you were just slightly above where people were coming in the stadium when they opened the gates, and they arranged it so the Nationals would hit second, so the fans would definitely get to see them take batting practice. And remember how they had the clock behind the fence in center field? They made it look like RFK looked in 1971. And I watched people just streaming through the gates, kids running, parents trying to keep up with them and because they were the field was below street level he would come in and just go to the back of the last row of seats in the lower bowl to just look in and i remember seeing people of all ages i remember seeing people with tears running down their faces and so the, the ironic thing is i've told this story many times so the first time i told this story was like within minutes of this phil wood was one of the original hosts on the SiriusXM baseball channel. You know that. And he was doing a show live from RFK Stadium. So he says to me, well, what did you see? What's happening right now is the gates open. And as I'm telling the story, just like this, you know how Phil Wood, native Washingtonian, how much he loves baseball, tears start streaming down his face. Wow. (laughs) That's story. You know, so not being a native Washingtonian, I didn't have the – I could not possibly – have the feeling that people had who lost baseball when the Senators left. So that gave me that that sense of what the, what pain they felt and what this day meant to them to have Major League Baseball back in Washington D.C. You know, and you know then seeing you know the, the park fill up, seeing President Bush come out. You know, one of the interesting things about that was, you know, Brian Schneider's one of my all-time favorite nationals because, of, you know, the great guy he is and the access that he gave us, the insight. The next day after that game, we didn't play. It was an off day. And so the, the day after, uh, when we came to the ballpark, there's an envelope, a manila envelope, a large one sitting on Brian Schneider's chair in front of his locker. And up in the upper left corner is just the – logo of the white house (laughs) and so now i'm just like i can't wait till he comes in because i want to see what's in there i had a pretty good idea it was all the photographs that the white house photographer took on opening day
0: it was like a whole bunch
1: of shots with brian schneider catching president bush in the batting cage before and then on the field and pictures with president bush with the team and later that year i visited the white house and in the west wing and a stairwell that goes from outside the Oval Office downstairs to the lower level are all the most recent pictures of wherever the president was been, has been. And this was a few months later. Normally, they don't keep those pictures up that long. But because President Bush loved baseball, they stayed up there a long time. And it was all these pictures from opening day at RFK Stadium. It was really cool.
0: That's amazing. So I'm looking at yeah. the box here. I'm cheating a little bit. But... Uh, the, yeah, the Levo, first, Levo has a shutout till the ninth inning going. He did. He pitched a shutout and into the ninth, eight and a third. He allowed three hits and, and three runs eventually in a well, win.
1: See, see, future national hits the home run in the ninth inning. That knocks him out of the game.
0: That's Chad right. Tracy. Great memory. Yep, Chad Tracy. Uh, and then I'm looking at a Vinny Castillo bomb for the Nats, second of the year for him, off Javier Vasquez. But uh, they got their win. I have to imagine that uh, made it that much Vinny. sweeter for that ball club.
1: And he had a chance for the cycle that day.
0: Yeah, he was three for three, drove in four.
1: Yep, yep. He had a great game, and the Chief came in and, and got the save, and, you know, that, that's just a day I'll never forget, you know, and and that was just kind of a precursor to the first half of that season, which turned out to be amazing when they got into May and they were, you know, right around 500 just above and start winning all these one-run games. Every night was a one-run game. And they get into June, and they run up a 10-game winning streak. And late in that streak is where my phrase came calling a win a curly W. I, so I that, it that started
0: at... organically in season then?
1: Uh-huh.
0: So when, do just, you remember I when said, you started saying that? I
1: don't know if I have the date, but it was late in that streak. I said, well, another – so they pull this one out. Another – it'll be another win in the books. I said – Well, maybe in this case, we should call them Twirly W's instead of W's. (laughs) And that was it.
0: Now, for a while, you had Bang Zoom go the fireworks, and then they stopped doing fireworks, right?
1: Fireworks were were through RFK Stadium. And then once they got to to, uh, Nationals Park, they were doing them in the first year, and then second year became like a neighborhood ordinance thing.
0: So so instead of Bang Zoom goes the fireworks, it just became Bang Zoom
1: which became more like on home runs, but, you know, I'll, you know, if it's a big win, I'll use it on a big win, plus the curly W's in the books.
0: Yeah, I guess I remember RFK Stadium, my first experiences there. It was never, a like, a great or a comfortable place, I didn't think as a fan to watch baseball, but it was kind of like our place if you were a D.C. person who didn't have that people dug it, I thought. You know, it's almost like if you're in an apartment and you make it your own or something before you you buy your spot. I think people came to like RFK fine, even though it had a lot of its own issues.
1: Well, you know, people could take the Metro right to the ballpark. That was big, especially, you know, early on uh, the way D.C. is. So that, that was huge. And then, you know, when they filled the third base side, which was behind the home dugout, Nationals were in the third base side, at RFK, and these fans started jumping up and down, and the stands rocked up and down with them. I mean, nobody had ever seen anything like that in a baseball ballpark, and the players could feel it in the dugout, and they talked about it all the time. They thought it was awesome. <laughs> you know, created their 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 own earth movement during those games, and because it was a circular enclosed stadium, I mean, it was loud, Grant. I mean, you get 25,000 people in there, and it sounded like 100,000 wow. when, they, when the crowd got going.
0: That's a good point. Yeah, That the the fact that it's completely enclosed, which a lot of these ballparks, you know, normally in the outfield or whatever, it jet, you see the skyline, and so you lose mm-hmm. some of that noise. What about um, you and Dave having been here when they were really bad? Obviously, that first year they overachieved, and they had this incredible season, which you alluded to. But soon enough, it kind of settled into, okay, there's a lot of work to do here. And then you came up with this team and you saw the fan base really grow and start to care and become invested and learn the players and purchase the jerseys. Going through the bad to get to the top of the mountain and now kind of going through some of the tough times again, I just wonder how much more special that was for you and Jags on those calls of the World Series because you'd been here so long. It wasn't like you were in your third year and you'd only been here while they were really good or something like that
1: why we wear that ring on our fingers that's that's exactly why and you know that's never going to go away whether it's three years removed or 23 years removed if I'm still around to say that then um you know uh it's never going to go away and you know we take I don't want to say we took for granted all the success the team had but we certainly we certainly got to you know got uh, used to-, to be. Yeah, every year we're, well, we got a chance to win the division, go to the postseason, chance may, we might have a World Series club here. We're going to be good. I think we're going to be really good. You know, oh, we got off, and we had a lot of bad starts to seasons, and then they would rally. Um, a couple of years they didn't and didn't make the playoffs in between their postseason appearances, 13 and, and 2015. But almost every year you had a chance. So now you're you're back to where you were and maybe even a little further Behind where you were before i mean this might turn out to be the worst year in franchise history in terms of wins and losses that you know you're, you're you've been on a pace to lose 110 games so it's really tough to watch especially since it's so recent that you were so competitive i mean think of here we are on august 18 2022 and july 2nd of 2021, After that great month of June where Schwarber hits all those home runs and they're winning games and catching up, they're two and a half games out of first place.
0: I know it. That Baltimore series, I feel like, changed everything. They went to Baltimore. If If they sweep the Orioles, who stunk at the time, who knows? But right after that, I think Brad Hand it was. Maybe he changed Nats history more than anybody else. He blew a couple games in the late innings, if memory serves, in that series. They get swept. And I just have to imagine it was on that trip back that Mike Rizzo thought, all right, call the Dodgers up, tell them Trey Turner's involved. That changed everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the owners knew that at that point that they were close to deciding to to sell the club, which could have factored into it at, at that point when you make a decision, well, we've got an aging team. We've got expiring contracts. So the expiring contracts, you understand. You know, unless you knew you were going to be competitive, could you re-sign Max Scherzer? Would you have paid him forty-three million a year for three years, like the Mets are giving him at that age? I mean, the Mets are close, so that was a gamble with a new owner trying to make a splash that you know they were willing to take. Maybe not a lot of clubs would have. The Dodgers weren't going to pay him that kind of money on on that kind of a deal. And who has more money than the Dodgers?
0: <laughs> I don't
1: know if anybody does.
0: If they're not going to pay him, that tells you what you need to know about how few teams there may have been. And Steve Cohen just kind of operates and and does his own thing. I mean, I guess nothing really changes for you guys in the booth, right? You're still like, it's the same prep. It's the same call, whether they're winning or they're losing. And you guys are still entertaining. I'm sure people are now coming up to you saying, Hey, you're, you're, you're the reason I'm listening right now.
1: Well, I, I hope they, they think that we're still entertaining them. I mean, that's, when the team was not good in the early years, when Dave came on I, a few months into his first year, I said, "You know, we're not going to just. We can't just call these games. This is going to have to be more than just telling them what's going on in the game. There's going to have to be. They're part of the relationship between the two of us, and stories of things that happen outside of the games, or you know, things that happen in our lives that so they can attach to us as much as they can attach." to the team because I don't think the team on its own is going to be enough <laughs> at that point. And so now you hope for, you know, I have kids now come up to me. It just, just tells you how old we are and how long I've been doing this. Oh, I've been listening to you my entire life. Exactly. <laughs> so that's a good thing because you have a generation of fans. And, and I think, you know, when you look at the Nationals attendance this year, I was told in spring training about their season ticket base and they hope with groups. Everything that they would average 16 to 18 thousand. I was like, wow, we haven't been there in a while. Well, they're averaging over 23 thousand, and mm. so the weather has been great lately, and they've had games with four, five, six thousand walk-ups. Which in this day and age you don't get in sports anymore. I've
0: been—I honestly was really impressed because the Padres, okay, whatever. Like me and my wife made the decision; we're going to those games because we want to see Soto. But then the Cubs—I was just at the Cubs. They had a day game where they had a pretty good turnout. All like they—they they were getting big numbers for that Cubs series. That's not a Soto thing. The Cubs are bad. No, I, I mean, was impressed by that.
1: The Cubs are usually a good draw every year because of their following and a lot of transplanted, you know, Chicagoans. Uh, and, and you get that in D.C. You get fans from from every team. But, yeah, I mean, there have been other series that are like, wow, these crowds are pretty good. Uh, so we'll see how they draw as the year goes on and, and school starts up again. And then again, you know, right now they're in the middle. They just sent out season ticket renewals So we'll get a good idea of uh, who of their loyal fans are staying on for next year. And, uh, unlike last year when ticket prices increased, they're not going to increase for next year. So I think that's 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 a good thing on their part when you're trying to keep people and knowing where the club is in terms of its rebuild, and you're not you're not giving them the same product right now in the field that you did before. So I think that's a smart move.
0: Yeah, it makes uh, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you and Jags must see each other more than you see your your spouses during the year, right? Well, that is a definite uh yes <laughs> <laughs> i mean you guys are together just baseball wise for five hours a day let alone if you're grabbing lunch or something or you're you know you're doing something before the game longer
1: uh, than that because if, if we're in the park between say around 3 three thirty, think of when these games end that's there, true there's no you know you start at 705 it's a rarity if the game ends before 10 o'clock So we're we're on the air usually after 10 to almost 1030 uh, before you're walking out the door. So that's that's a good seven, seven and a half. The other night the game goes 11 innings. You're there till almost midnight.
0: You guys probably get even more so than what me and Danny get, which is anytime anyone sees me, they ask me where Danny is. They go, hey, where's Dave? And it's like, well, I'm with my wife. I'm at home. You know, he, he doesn't live here. He doesn't he's not in the guest bedroom.
1: Oh, but see, the different—the difference – that's really funny. That's right. He's in the car. <laughs> exactly. uh, he's in the kitchen making a sandwich. Right. Um, no, it's like w- with us, when they see us, it's usually at the ballpark. So if they see one of us, well, we're sure as well, he's up in the booth. Doing
0: yeah, yeah, crap. yeah. They'll yeah. be down. It's like you guys are conjoined twins, twins or something. You can only <laughs> – Almost. <laughs> yep. Only yeah. go where the other goes. Uh, I want to know what percentage of games you think you've done because – there was a, uh, you, I mean, you had a, like a Ripken-esque streak, I feel like, for a bunch of years where you didn't miss a game. Maybe you have a graduation here or there with your family obligation, but you had to have done, I, I don't know how many games I've ever played, but like 90-some percent of the games, don't you think? Oh, I would
1: say it's like 99%. Yeah. I
0: can,
1: I can tell you I missed one game in San Diego in 2006. Uh, I didn't feel well getting on the flight from Dulles. And by the time we landed, I had a fever. I was I was, could not get out of bed for a day and a half and miss the next day.
0: <laughs>
1: and that's the only time I've been sick enough to miss a Nationals game. The other games were, I can tell you how many I've missed, were two for two graduations. So that's, that's four. And then I missed two games this year due to a uh, death in the family. So I've missed six games. So. If we want to look up how many games the nationals so that's played, like
0: I'm going to say it's like ninety nine point eight percent of games
1: <laughs> it, it, it would be how many was that that was that was seven games, right
0: yeah, you had a half dozen, I think you just said,
1: yeah, I had two graduations, two games this year, six, so that's seven games. So let's see how many games they played to the magic of baseball reference i got to add up wins and losses here real quick. 14-17. So that's 2,769 games. And 7 divided six. by
0: 2,769.
1: Oh, wait. I, I needed to do it the other way around.
0: Yeah, you I need added. 6 divided by the big number or 7.
1: Yeah, I missed .002. <laughs>
0: oh, come on. 99.002% or whatever that is. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, nobody's been in the booth and seen more Nats baseball than Charlie Slows with us here on Bust and Loose. All right, so i, I got to let you go. I can't keep you forever, but I guess um, I, I, my last thing would be, what are you excited about the rest of the way? Kind of what keeps you glued to this thing and engaged? Are there well, certain players to, or storylines?
1: Getting to know you know new players, I think. Luke Boyd, right away, I can tell he's going to be a leader. He's he's into it. You know, you would think a guy coming from a contending team, two contending teams in a row, would be, you know, maybe a little bit of a downer. Um, but I've seen the way he's gotten involved with the other players on the club and goes about it. So I, I really like him uh, from that standpoint. And just getting to know the new shortstop C.J. Abrams. He's real quiet. Doesn't doesn't say a whole lot. But I was excited to see a guy who has good footwork soft hands can go left go right can make a throw and, and take a play that doesn't that that is somewhat difficult and make routine and make it over and over and you know that that's what they need to have i mean luis garcia unfortunately was you know was like an actor miscast in a part uh, i'm not sure where he i'm not exactly sure where he you know they say he's going to move over to second base we've seen we've seen him play second base uh, when he was up the prior two years and he needed work there, that was the reason they had a plan for him really to spend uh, if the most, if not all of this year at AAA because of his defense. And when and Alcides Escobar got off to a bad start, didn't hit, was struggling in the field too, and then got hurt, that's when they made the decision to bring him up and let him play every day. But he found out quickly that, that, that that's not his position. So, We'll see. They say he's going to go to second base when he comes off the injured list from this groin strain. We could see Cesar Hernandez move over to third. They don't feel Garcia uh, has the reactions really to play third base at this point. So we'll see. That's going to be something else they're going to find out. He can definitely hit big league pitching if he if he brings that chase rate down. He'll hit more big league pitching than he has already. Uh, but I'm excited to see Abrams eventually. Excited to see some of the other players that they got in the deal from San Diego and what pieces that, you know, Riz may add to this group in the offseason because you're not going to be able to do it alone just on these, no matter how good these guys are as prospects. You're waiting for them to get there. It's not going to be enough. And, and certainly pitching has been a big problem um, with what's happened with the injury to Strasburg and, and other pitchers at this point still waiting for them to develop. You know, you're going to have to add. I mean, you don't know. you got to make a decision on Robles next year. Uh, he hasn't developed. Is Carter Keyboom. are you going to you go that route and make him your third baseman coming out of spring training again next year, or are you, you going in another direction? So still a ton of decisions to be made.
0: Yeah, it was great when everything was easy and they were really good, but there's a lot of uncertainty and kind of some curiosity now, which breeds interest, I think, and could make this a really compelling time for fans, not only down the stretch here, but – in the months ahead this offseason. Well, Charlie, it was awesome to reminisce. we got to do this again soon and, and frankly, for longer because uh, I love the stories and I love catching up. Thank you for hopping aboard.
1: Anytime, Grant. I love it, too.
0: Big thanks to Charlie for hanging out with us and reminiscing. We're back at it next week with a dive into some of the newcomers in the Nationals lineup and pitching staff and how they've been faring since getting an opportunity late this season. Again, though, the way this show's going to work, the way this podcast is going to grow is if you guys help us. So please send the word out to friends. Send a link out to buddies you know that like baseball or the Nationals so we can have more and more people checking us out. And please rate and subscribe and comment something nice, and we'll read your comments on future podcasts. Review us as best you can. For now, so long from the Bustin' Loose baseball crew. Danny's back from vacation next week. Producer Darius Grant Paulson saying so long. Thanks to Charlie Slows. We'll talk to you early next week.